Hey everyone and welcome to my show. My name is Nick Elston. I'm a leading inspirational speaker, creator of unique mental health engagement strategies, a transformational speaking coach, and founder of Forging People, a community created to empower, inspire, and educate people who truly want to be heard in life and in business. On these shows, I bring you the storytellers, celebrities, speakers, influencers, entrepreneurs, those who have gone from adversity to excitement, who share their stories with vulnerability, transparency, inspiration, and most importantly, completely unfiltered. So without any further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy today's episode of The Nick Elston Show. Hey everyone, a big welcome back to the Nick Elston Show, season three, episode four. It's flying by already, and an amazing guest to bring you today, uh, Mr. Tom Gorringe, Executive Director of Bristol Rovers Football Club. Big round of applause for Tom. Am I supposed to clap myself? Yeah, you can if you want. Stuart Sinclair used to do that when he played for us, didn't he? So <laughs> seemed to be he announced the Man of the Match award and suddenly just clap himself on the pitch. I quite like that. So, but yeah, Tom, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. No, it's really good to uh, to be on. Very welcome. That's really cool to have you on. And I think, where should we start? We've got so many places to go. I mean, I want to make this around kind of you as the guy, but obviously touch on all the bits that you're interested in and uh, your ambitions and, and kind of like your history as well. And actually, it's a good place to start. Tell us about your journey. How did you get to the doors of Bristol Rovers Football Club? Well, it was a long journey. Um I've been in football uh, for just over a decade now. Um, I started when I was at University of Portsmouth, where I had to do his placement as part of my business degree. And I just knocked on the doors at Fratton Park and said, I've got to do a placement. I really like football. Any chance I can do it here? And after a few months passed and uh, a couple more meetings, I ended up being offered a placement there. Um, it was a really weird time for the club because I joined and literally three weeks later they went into administration. Um, so first Premier League club and probably will be the only ever Premier League club to go into administration. Um, and yeah, then the whole the whole journey with them was was a crazy one. We um, got to the FA Cup final that year. Uh, we went through an extreme. Well, what throughout my time there we had seven rounds of redundancy, um, but that first one was was pretty severe i think there was over 150 people that were sacked in in one day wow um that's a hell of a baptism of fire yeah so it was quite extreme because obviously i joined that happened um in a strange sadistic sort of way it was kind of perfect for me because i was i was cheap labor for them so i kind of quite quickly went from being a an intern to having some kind of relatively key roles within the business which exposed me to lots of things that I probably wouldn't normally have been exposed to on a on a year's placement and that meant that from the end of the year I ended up staying on so I was doing a bit of a dual role of uh, working during the day and fitting in lectures where I had to and then going to the university library at night and writing up all the things that I was kind of doing in the day job um, so yeah it was quite extreme they ended up then going into administration again um, a couple of years later and um, yeah it's a strange time so uh, over the four years we went to administration twice got relegated twice got to the FA Cup final um, and then I left there to go to Cardiff City I joined in a blue and then they changed to red uh, relatively quickly um, so I worked um, 
obviously in the, the Vincent Tan era, he's still there, but in the most controversial phase of that. Um, and again, we promoted the Premier League there and then relegated back from it. Um, so that was a, another bit of a whirlwind. And then following that, I was approached to go to Brighton um, and uh, incredibly well-run club um, and another good opportunity. So I was there for three years, I think, in the end. And again, we got promoted to the Premier League whilst I was there. And then, um, yeah, left there to, to join Rovers. So, uh, it was, uh, it's been a long journey. Um, <laughs> Where did it all go wrong? I'm joking. <laughs> so, how did that opportunity come about? How did the, the Bristol Rovers opportunity or the move come from? Um, it came about because I ended up speaking to, um, to Wal when he, when he first joined the club. Um, and obviously they had, they had big ambitions at that time. Um, so we had an initial discussion then. Uh, I came to a game in the first couple of years. Um, I think it was Bolton. Um, Jermaine Easter scored. And um, I have a weird memory for games like that. They just, that's, <laughs> that stuff kind of sticks. Nothing important, just who scored in certain games. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and then um, the opportunity arose. They, they contacted me and said, we'd like to, to, to bring you in. And the timing was right for me. So um, it all worked out. Here I am. Absolutely. And along the way, you picked up the Rising Star Award for the Stadium Business Awards, correct? Yeah. So, um, yeah, that was that was at the uh, Camp Nou in Barcelona. Wow. Uh, so, yeah, um, unbelievable day and, and night. Um, I didn't I didn't know I was up for it. I didn't know anything about it, really. They just announced so I was there just as a guest and all of a sudden... <laughs> I stood up on stage with a, with a trophy. So, um, yeah, nice to say I've, I've picked up a trophy at, at the new camp. Not, not many people can say that. <laughs> Very true. So I know from I've had the pleasure of working with you on things like the business networking for the club, uh, obviously lifelong Rover supporter myself. What I found really interesting was the, the difference coming from outside of football, from a business perspective. The business of football is, is unique, isn't it? because it seems to be fueled by emotional decisions and even from kind of sponsors and things. So actually the, the performance on the pitch, how they're feeling emotionally about the club will then affect the, the spend, the commercial activity. It's a very strange one, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, people say that football's like no other business, um, probably because if other businesses run like football clubs did and the amount of outlay compared to income... Uh, they they wouldn't last very long, but um, <laughs> that, that emotional connection you talk about is probably the, the kind of key attraction to the game. It's the biggest strength when you're winning games and everybody's cheering on the team and pulling in the same direction. And it also then makes it incredibly hard when that's not the case because things outside of your control put a cloud over everything that you're doing, whether it's positive or, or negative. So um, I think if you work in football, you have to understand that. Yeah. Um, you have to, we, we all have a responsibility to try and maximise those those peaks of emotion and try and minimise the troughs. Um, we'll get irrational responses to people based on their emotional feelings at, at that one time. We'll get 10 times more complaints about, pasties and pints when we're losing than we do when we win um wow. some somebody once said to me the catering's always better when we when we're winning games <laughs> and, and it's true the, the food tastes nicer, nicer the, the beer's colder um and everybody generally is happier um 
And that doesn't necessarily mean that the parts within my role or other people's within the business being done any better. Um, sometimes it'd be the opposite. If you just happen to be at a place at the right time and, and everything's going great, you can look like you're the best person in the world when in reality, you could be doing very little. So um, yeah, un understanding the emotions of it, understanding that there's large parts of the job that you have no control over that will have a significant impact on what you're doing, I think is important. Mm. Um, but ultimately, we are a business. We need to run like a business. We need to be professional. We need to be trying to generate income and we need to be doing the right things to progress and improve the experience for our supporters because ultimately that's what, what grows the fan base. Um, and I think everybody also needs to understand what the strategy is. And by trying to generate income, I think it can often be seen as trying to make money out of fans, whereas in reality any money that's made within the football club generally is spent back onto the pitch. So yeah. um, fans having pretty much pint down Gloucester Road as opposed to in the stadium, that generally means that that income over the course of the season is income that's going into said pub on Gloucester Road as opposed to into, I don't know, it could be a new analysis, um, a new member of the analyst team or a new physio or... Uh, into the playing budget I know the, the I think what skewed that perception over time is because players now get paid so much money although generally not as much as you'd expect at our level that gap's become so big that people don't make the correlation anymore you see Premier League players on 300 grand a week and you think well my pint doesn't really make a difference to 300 grand a week but as you go down the tiers that connection gets stronger um, and so I think it's important for people to realise how the whole economy of football works uh, and the fact that it doesn't work <laughs> is probably <laughs> an awesome point to raise as well because um, it's very difficult to stabilise a playing budget at League One, League Two level with the revenues that you can generate yeah. from a stadium like ours that's obviously um, relatively old and, and not particularly fit for purpose. Yeah, um, absolutely. So that that whole economy doesn't really work unless you have somebody then investing, like we're lucky enough to have through while, um, investing money into the football club to sustain our position in the league and and invest in the first team and enable us to compete. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the one commonality I've noticed though is that kind of the the anxiety that's created by change. So if you're looking to modernise something or change something the automatic response is that people can get quite defensive or uh, quite anxious sometimes maybe about that change and instantly think change is, is a bad thing. So you've kind of had to take people on that journey with you, haven't you? And that's not always the easiest thing to do. It's not, no. Um, and I think from, from my side, obviously joining the club, there was some pretty core areas that needed relatively significant change pretty quickly. Um, I mean, initially, one of the big challenges we had was the infrastructure and trying to update that. And I think it had been postponed for years and years before because obviously our ambitions are to move to a new stadium. But the changes we made in that first summer have made a huge impact on our ability to operate in service demand and um, how we can kind of make the most of the match day opportunity. So we've, we've renovated all the bar, or not all, but most of the bar areas in the stadium. Um, which increased the capacity in the main one by about 200 people. Um, those changes in the bar areas led to a ATP per person increase in our bar sales. 
um, for every person that enters the stadium every game. So, in essence, it paid for itself before the end of the first season. Yeah. Um, we made changes to the shop and the, the way that was laid out. We've changed our online store, our online ticketing store, bought in a big screen, pitch high LED, uh, electric turnstiles, um, changed lots of the different processes. Um, and every single one of those changes has had its own complications with it um, and lots of reasons not to do it in the first instance. Um, but I think the most important thing was was kind of committing to the needs to change them and persisting with it, regardless of the challenges. And uh, and I think that was that was why all those projects ended up coming to fruition relatively quickly. Mm. Do you think it's because the a football club, not just the this football club, but a football club, has this kind of shared uh, ownership mentality that shared because it's it's my club kind of thing. So there's there's that kind of mentality when it comes to any change. And which can lead to obviously factions within the same organisation. Yeah, I mean, you're not going to see anybody walk down the street with a tattoo of Tesco's on their arm, or <laughs> well, you know. Whereas <laughs> um, people up and down the country have their football club literally tattooed on their skin as a kind mm. of show of support. Um, so uh, yeah, I mean. The clubs that operate best with the the kind of are the ones that have the best involvement of of their fans, and that's something we're all trying to achieve. Mm. Um, but again, that comes with its challenges because I think in football generally there's a constant dilemma of paying tribute to history and whilst trying to modernise and operate like a business, which I think is then perceived as a negative as opposed to a positive. And the challenge is being able to do both. So absolutely of our past we understand all of the things that are less to this point and they were all very important but what we actually need to do as a football club now to progress and to grow our fan base and to do all the things we need to do to eventually move up the leagues um so yeah that, that's an ongoing dilemma and a discussion and when i meet fans now nine times out of ten the first thing they will say is their roll call of I've been supporting the club for 55 years. That's the first thing that everybody says. And then it goes on to the point that they're trying to make. So it's almost like a, a badge of honour. Um, and yeah. understanding that and appreciating that is the first hurdle. And then um, the next hurdle is everybody understanding that we want the same things. So yeah. I want the team to be winning just as much as everybody else does. I want the bars to be operating perfectly and the kiosk to be operating perfectly and the shop to be as good as it can be and the best partners we could get and the best hospitality we could offer and ultimately the best football team we can put on the pitch. So um, we're all after the same things and every change that's made is with a view to trying to reach that that goal and basically operating as well as we can across every area. Yeah, and how's the past 18 months looked in terms of the club? Because obviously it's had to work in extremely difficult circumstances, obviously, especially initially because there was closure. But then uh, the, the I follow option came around, uh, which allowed games to be played in kind of uh, closed environments. And now fans are back. How has the club managed to kind of get through that period in that sense? Um, well, it's, it's been incredibly tough. And the honest answer is probably that we wouldn't have got through it if it wasn't for for well support and investment. Um, 
the lots of clubs have had to take additional finance out to get through this. Um, the income that we've all received is nowhere near the costs of putting a team out on the pitch every week. Um, and uh, so, yeah, it's been tough. Obviously, it's been 18 months. We've had numerous different challenges over that period. Like you say, we started with the season being curtailed early um, mm. and complications then about uh, refunds for fans that had purchased for the previous season. We then moved into the new season um, and had the best part of a year of total uncertainty of when fans would come back in, if at all. Eventually, they obviously didn't. Um, but people purchased season tickets for that season uh, with the expectation they would be able to attend. And obviously, unfortunately, they weren't. Um, we've had uh, a complicated staff working relationship because lots of people have been furloughed because large, large parts of the business have been closed. And we've been balancing that whilst then building a training ground at the same time. Um, just, to, just to add an extra thing in the mix. So, um, yeah, it's, it's been really tough. Um, I think the financial impact of the whole pandemic across football hasn't been felt yet because the clubs that have struggled have, have, uh, have managed to raise finance elsewhere and that's all money mm. that has to be paid back at a later date and it's only when those, those loans have been called in that we'll really see kind of what the impact has been. Obviously, yeah. we're lucky in while that he's um, he won committed at the start to effectively fund the club through the pandemic. He lasted as long as he expected it to, but um, <laughs> he's, he's obviously been true to his word. He's paid all members of staff their full wage throughout, um, which again many other clubs haven't done, um, and obviously then invested in the training grounds on top of that. So um, without that investment, we we wouldn't have made it through. Um, the one positive outside of that has, has been iFollow, as you mentioned. Um, yep. we, we had the fifth highest iFollow subscriptions in League One, despite being bottom of the league. Um, we turned over over half a million pounds from iFollow alone. Wow. Um, so it was a, a it was our biggest revenue stream last season. Um, yeah. And not only was it our biggest revenue stream, but it also saved um, what would have been our biggest cost, which would have been large refunds for season ticket holders um, because many fans took up the option to watch games on iFollow in lieu of a refund, um, which from a cash perspective was, was huge for us really. Are you truly being heard in life, in education, in business? Your ability to deliver any message with clarity, power and emotion will have an ultimately defining impact on your success personally and professionally. Forging People, founded by Nick Elston, is an online community developed to empower, inspire, engage and educate you to truly step up. Complete with online courses, early access to in-person coaching and events, free resources and a community of like-minded people, Forging People will help you manage anxiety, boost confidence and give you the tools to speak to any audience, whether it's one person or one million people. Speaking is more than just standing on stage. Speaking is business. Speaking is leadership. Speaking is influencing. Speaking is life. Contact Nick's team today on pa at nickelston.com or visit nickelston.com today to register your interest. This is the sign you've been looking for.
the the quarters, the training ground. That's a huge step along the way. I mean, the ultimate goal, I guess, in the short, in a longer term, is is a stadium. Uh, I guess you're kind of sick of being asked this, but kind of how is that situation looking at the moment, and where kind of are we on that? Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, there's there's not a lot that can be said other than um, what Wiles updated in his letters, but um, the the strategy of the club is to improve the infrastructure. Obviously, part of that is the training ground, but the bigger part is the stadium, mm-hmm. and that that's our number one core priority um, above all else. Um, but Beyond that, um, we obviously want to work towards um, bringing through younger players and um, continual improvement across all departments, developing the fan base, further integrating within the community. I mean, at the heart of everything we do, we're we're a family club. So um, we need to be developing the fan base and working in the community in unison. I think they're often seen as two different things, whereas we've got a better relationship now with the community trust than we've ever had. Um, and we need to work towards a point of sustainability. And ultimately, I think sustainability only comes with the infrastructure being a new stadium to be able to generate the income that allows us to support a football team at this level. Um, so it's of paramount importance to us, but also the most complicated piece of the jigsaw puzzle as the club's found over the last decades and decades. Um, so, so, uh, so, yeah, I mean, that, that's kind of where we are with it at the moment. Yeah, fab. Thanks, Tom. Uh, so, I guess on the pitch, uh, last season was extremely difficult, not just because of, of COVID, but obviously on the on the playing side of things and the managerial situations. Um, I mean, from your role, and I appreciate you're part of a, of a kind of a team that are kind of looking at it, this throughout the season. How, how did it kind of play out for you? What were kind of your initial expectations going into that period, but obviously through those changes uh, and right up to the appointment of Joey, I guess, Joey Barton? Yeah, I mean, it was obviously a tough season. Um, the results were way short of the expectation. Um, I think... Uh, I mean, I'm not involved in, in player recruitment directly, but the initial strategy was to try and give players security early within the window and secure some of the better players that were out of contract when most clubs were still waiting to see what the situation was with the, the wider pandemic and try and build a team that could really really have a go in League One. Obviously, that, that didn't materialise. And um, two managers later... Uh, three in the end if you're including Joe and that as well um, we're in League Two um, but the focus hasn't really changed um, the goal has always been to get to the championship uh, and if and when we get there then to stay there and, and continue to build um, so that's still the aim if you go down the training ground to speak to any of the staff that's that's the aim obviously mm. we've looked to build a squad this season that is capable of returning at the first time of asking. Um, while has been quite public in his in his um, position that the goal for the season is is promotion. That's that's what we want. That's what success looks like. And then hopefully we can go from there. Um, but in terms of the season, last season it was the weirdest I've been involved with for lots of different reasons. But the biggest one probably being that stadiums were empty. Yeah, and we were lucky enough that we were still able to attend games. Um, but I mean, at, at times it, it was uh, it was tough. I mean, I feel like we lost points because we didn't have the fan base supporting us. Um, and 
lots of the games felt like training games. Um, obviously, you know yourself, we've got a huge fan base supporting us and that does often make the difference, particularly at home. Um, and so we really felt that, that loss throughout the season. Yeah, absolutely. And there's been a, a big turnaround in kind of staff and playing staff uh, over the, the summer. Um, I think it was kind of labelled as the Great Reset. How does that kind of look from from your role as part of the, the broader team? How kind of how does it closely affect your day to day by the changes and, and the massive overhaul in the playing squad, or does it affect it at all? Uh, it doesn't really. Um, uh, I mean, like I said, I'm not involved directly in the recruitment of players, but obviously I have an interest and awareness of what's going on. <laughs> um, but I mean, in terms of my role, all of my departments are those that generate income for the football club and our focus is to get better every season and mm-hmm. to operate at the highest possible level that we can within each of those departments. And I know the same focus is shared at the training grounds in terms of trying to make sure that every person that's within that new training ground building is operating at an elite level uh, and is able to drive us up the leagues and, and get us to where we want to be. So. I think there's a there's a shared focus across the football club to make sure that we've got the right people in the right roles and they're all working to the best of their ability to to make improvements here and here. Fantastic, thank you. I mean, one of the things that's been so noticeable since you arrived was you you make yourself very accessible. Uh, you're very open to communications from supporters, from everybody pretty much, um, even things like this. I don't think this could have happened before with previous um, uh, regimes, should we say. Um, however, that, putting yourself out there, Twitter, very active. Convers- I've seen you obviously talking to people in, in hospitality and stuff, talking to fans. I know lots of people email you with their opinions and thoughts. And how do you manage that i mean i guess there's two levels to that i mean if you're going to make yourself very accessible you're going to have a lot of stuff come back so how do you filter that but also from a personal level and given my work in the mental health space i'm really keen on how you protect yourself what boundaries do you put in place to protect your own mental health um well there's, there's lots in there um i mean for me every club i've been at I've always tried to be as open and accessible as possible. Um, I think football is changing, but when I first came into it 10 years ago, social media didn't exist. I remember setting up Portsmouth social media channels when I was there. And um, it, it's obviously changed the way that we all work, we all interact with each other. And I think it's important that, um, that we interact, we explain the decisions, we provide information for people when they need it. Uh, and if that's through me then great and if that's through other people in the business then that's also fine um i've also i think naturally i've become that focal point like you said so most things do generally come through me but um i mean the aim is to improve in every area so i would rather have the information from fans as they see it um some of the points that we get uh, are valid feedback some of it is things that people don't quite understand that you can hopefully explain and they do understand and some of it is uh, completely not not viable for one reason or another um so all of those things um are conversations we can have if there's changes we can make make them and let people know they've been made if 
there's things that um, aren't possible at the same time. I think it's important people know that. Um, in terms of me, uh, I'm lucky to have a very understanding wife. Uh, she, uh, she doesn't get any of the credit, but I wouldn't be able to be as successful as I am and uh, answer people at all times of day and night if uh, she wasn't as understanding as she is. Um, so that's probably a big part of it. Um, but I mean, football and this club and and um, my job, I suppose, is a massive part of all of our lives and none of them have really had, had, a, had a say in that. That's just the way it's always been. And um, yeah, my, my wife and all the kids are, are heavily invested in this project as am I. So um, uh, they, they, they go on that emotional journey with me in terms of the highs of positive victories and positive outcomes and the difficulties that some of the frustrations that we experience bring as well so um yeah it's uh it's not it's not easy um and like i alluded to earlier um when you are that focal point when you are accessible that also means then that you're generally the first point of frustration when results aren't going right when things that ordinarily wouldn't be an issue become an issue just because you are open and accessible and I think understanding that and taking those things with a pinch of salt is uh is an important part of the process um I don't really take anything to heart and take anything personally um if there are genuine frustrations I'm probably feeling them as well if not more than the fans are because I want things to be as good as they can be just as much as as any fan does so um so yeah we're all we're all on the same journey we all want the same outcome um i guess someone said to me when we score we all stand up together i quite like that saying obviously we're on terrace with half field stuff anyway but um <laughs> we all want the same outcome which is to see the team winning every week and uh, although there may be differences as to how we get there every decision that's been made has been made with the best intentions to to drive us forward Thanks, Tom. I think it's really important to see that kind of human element to that because, like I said, they, if you're seen as the face or the voice of the club, then sometimes that can kind of take away the the understanding there's a personality, there's a family behind it, there's a wife behind it, a young family behind it. So, yeah, thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate that. So away from the club, um, what ambitions do you have professionally? What, where do you see as kind of a direction you would like to go uh, and what you would like to achieve? Um, it's not really something I think about. Um, I very much live in the moment. Like I said, we're fully invested in this project and trying to see it through. Um, and I suppose on that end, what I would like to see is, is the club playing in a new stadium. If we can deliver that objective, mm-hmm. uh, then whatever else happens at my time there, then, then we've been successful. Um, so that's what I'd like to see. Um, for me personally, that that's as far as it goes um and, and if um, football wasn't an option if football wasn't a thing what, what else would you have seen yourself doing i have no idea <laughs> I, i'm absolutely football obsessed and have been since the day i was born um and uh whatever i mean i'm sure i'll be doing something business related but football's always been at the heart of what i wanted to do with I've obviously played since I, I could walk i've coached both here and in america um, and I used oh, wow. to find ways when I was when I was um, at uni 
to shoehorn football into my projects and the things I was doing. So I think this is probably what the path I was always supposed to be on. Um, I obviously am a fan of sport in general, so if it wasn't football, I'd imagine I'd be involved in some other sport along along the line. But um, but yeah, I think this is this is where I'm supposed to be. And away from business, how do you relax? How do you unwind? Uh, just spending time with my family, really. We don't get a lot of downtime. I think um, it's, it's one of the things that people don't realise is the football club, for most people, is their outlet. Um, and I suppose in a weird way, it's mine, but it's also my job. And they, those things kind of get merged. So um, obviously, we have our normal working week. We go to home and away games on the weekend, just like everybody else does. And that all kind of gets mashed into one. Um, but any downtime we have, or I have, is, is spent with my family. We've got four kids, and that's plenty to, to keep me busy. So, so not a big fan of a quiet life, then, Tom. Is that uh, fair to say? Yeah, <laughs> I, I like a game of golf, but I don't don't get one as often as I'd like. Um, and I like like water sports and stuff like that. But again, don't get many opportunities to do stuff like that. Um, particularly when you're working as as much as I am at the moment. So, um, so yeah, any time uh, or any time away from work is generally spent with, with the kids Amazing. doing ballet classes and fun stuff like that. <laughs> Good stuff. So the question I like to ask everybody that comes on the show is I'm going to set the scene. I'm now at the MC of the O2 Arena. 20,000 people paid their hard-earned money to come and hear you do your thing, whatever your thing is. You're in the green room. You hear your walk-on music kick in. What would that track be? That track that motivates you, lifts you, gets you at peak state. What would that track be? Um, well, obviously, being from Brighton and having some interactions with this guy uh, whilst I was there, uh, it has to be right here, right now, by Fabulous Slim. What a tune. Great choice. So that choice, along with every other choice from season three, will be on a playlist available right at the end of the season. So stay with us for that. But in the meantime... Big thank you to Tom Gorringe for coming on today's show. Round of applause to Tom. Thank you for sharing with such kind of candor and openness. It's really refreshing. Thank you for your time. That's okay. Thanks for having me on. And I think, uh, I think it's important, like I said, I mean, for me, the lines between professional life and personal life are pretty mushy anyway, because it has <laughs> to be because of the nature of the job. So um I'll always try and be as, as open and nice as I can be and things like this. And uh, uh, thanks for having me on. It's, it was good to chat. I feel a bit like it was a bit of therapy for me. Yeah, good. So anytime. You're welcome back anytime, <laughs> genuinely. So, yeah, thank you, Tom. And thanks to everybody else. Uh, please stay tuned for next week's episode. We have another amazing guest to bring you. A completely different walk of life again, which is really cool. Uh, so stay tuned to the Nick Elson Show. Please do hit like and subscribe and all that jazz. And I will see you very soon. Take care, guys. Cheers. Bye-bye. And that's a wrap. A big thank you for tuning in to today's episode. Please do leave us a like and hit subscribe for the fantastic upcoming episodes that I will be bringing to you, featuring more amazing guests. But for now, be well, be happy, be safe, and remember, as I always say, it's what you do next at Kanks. Until next time on The Nick Elson Show, take care. I'll see you soon. Cheers, guys. Bye-bye.